0: comment and share. Hey, great day, everyone. It's CJ. Hope everyone's having a fantastic day so far. I uh, want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thank all of our live listeners in the chat room. We really appreciate you guys being here. Also, do us a favor. Go to roguenews.com. Everyone knows the site to go to, but bookmark. Make sure you subscribe and do me a favor. Scroll all the way to the bottom of that page. There is a little box in there to put your email address. Uh, that way you can uh, subscribe and be up to date with all the Rogue content. Uh, unfortunately, V's not going to be with us today. Uh, just a little double booked on his his uh, schedule. Uh, but we do have a very special uh, Thursday edition of V is for <laughs> Velas. Uh I know everyone was asking, say, so, hey, it's, it's, is it Friday? Did you guys lose track of the week? No, we, we, we didn't. It, you know, sometimes that does happen. So Vellis, how are you doing, sir? I'm fine. How are you doing, V, CJ? Uh, you know I'm doing I'm doing great, uh, Velas. The the news cycle the past 48 hours has just been fast and furious. You reached out to us and said, "Hey, look, guys, I I know that I, I'd said that the rest of this calendar year I'm going to be booked up, but there's just too much going on. So jump into it, Velas. Break it down for us."
1: Yeah, I've got. We're gonna <laughs> folks. We're gonna cover today uh, the topic of blackmail. Uh, Ghislaine and Julian Assange. That's what I'm focused on. I've got a couple uh, points for you before we get started. Um, hot off the the wire this morning, and I don't know if it's just a repost uh, or if there's more to it than that. Uh, WikiLeaks just dropped a bunch of new files this morning, supposedly new files. Um, I'm wondering if that's a shot across the bow uh, because of the recent situation with Julian, but, but supposedly the content is new. So those of you that are into eye strain, you can go out there and go go check that out. Um, also, I posted on December thirteenth on the hashtag Bellis on Discord uh, about Catherine Austin Fitz' recent summary of our current situation. Uh, that's definitely worth a read, and if you can go find some of her, uh, she's done a number of interviews where she's kind of covering the same content, but she's she's drawn an interesting parallel about the nature of what all of this documentation and tracking relative to inoculations really means for the new economic model so that's definitely worth uh definitely worth checking out now before we get started on my content um had uh and, and by the way i know uh, i saw it on both discord and uh, the chat this morning uh, thank you all for being here and uh also uh cj just made a mention of it um Remember, folks, uh, for, the, for those of you that are desperately trying to find where Gus's content has gone, uh, please go to the Rogue website. Uh, CJ did get uh, Gus's show from yesterday, and boy, was that ripped off YouTube quickly. <laughs> um, uh, the show with Gus yesterday is, is on the Rogue News website, because I myself went to Twitch, which is my normal place to go when I'm looking for content that's been pulled. Um, uh, CJ, did, did we change the settings on the Twitch page? Because it doesn't have any of the the rogue shows i need to to
0: check with the the rogue matthew uh we we changed our our redirect in terms of our multi-stream ah and and when we did that i i'm i'm thinking that either either it needs to be refreshed or or something's something's happened so i i'll follow up to ensure to see uh where that where the uh the communication where the the redirect is going
1: yeah, no worries, cause uh just the IT person and me, the uh it, it carries the live show, but it doesn't uh it doesn't have any of the recorded prior like all of the history and stuff is gone. Uh so anyway. Um to that end, uh CG, if you would, would you play the clip I had in mind for us this
2: morning? We need you to stay in your home for a couple weeks. It's for the greater good. We need you to close your business just for a short time. It's for the greater good. We need you to stay home just a little bit longer than two weeks. It's, it's for the greater good. We need you to wear this on your face. It's it's for the greater good. We need you to wear two of these on your face. It's. For the greater good. We need you to inject this into your body. It's for the greater good. We need you to spend the holidays alone it's for the greater good you must inject this into your body if you want to feed your family it's for the greater good we need you to stop eating that it's not good for the environment it's for the greater good we need you to stop driving your car and flying it's for the greater good we need you to stop heating your home so often It's for the greater good. We need you to stop saying that. It's hurting some people's feelings. This is for the greater good. We need you to stop having children. It's not good for the planet. This is for the greater good. (laughs) We need you to stop talking about your faith. It's offending people. This is for the greater good. We need to separate you from your children because you're not complying. This is for the greater good. We need to hold you in a facility for a little while for not cooperating. This is for the greater good. 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 This is for the greater good.
1: That's good. So, uh, remember the greater good. <laughs> um, Okay. Let me uh, let me jump into the content I had for everybody today. And as usual, uh, credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, If I borrow or use other folks' content, I do my best to, to point that out. I mean, as I often say on my show, some of my stuff is mine. Some of it is from other folks. Some of me is taking other people's work and kind of taking it in another direction. So the the basis or the foundation of what I'm covering today came from Patrick Ryan. Patrick had been on Rogue uh, previously. Uh, he kind of went back on the, the the Holy Mountain there the last year and has been up there thinking thinking through highly complicated things. But he's uh, he's been showing up again on the STOA and some of the other sites that are out there that deal with with uh, various philosophical things. Um, but, you know, the difference with Patrick Ryan's content versus a philosophy class in college is, is that what Patrick Ryan is talking about is uh, true. <laughs> it's not really philosophy. Um so let me start, start here. In a past life when I worked for General Electric, we used to use these four block diagrams as a format to communicate executive summaries across the firm. Now a lot of major corporations, they've got kind of models they use in order to make sure communications are consistent, repeatable across the organization to kind of move through any challenges caused by, by different languages or, or cultures between countries and things like that. And it's uh, these four blocks are a single sheet of paper or a slide in PowerPoint. It's got four sex- sections. In it. It's just a square with uh, broken in four quadrants. And one of those four block models that that GE used to use to find um, how to view and track our product and market maturity over time. And there's four phases to this. Anybody who's been in an MBA program, you've probably seen something like this. You know, you start out in, in a block identified as number one and you kind of work your way through the other four. and um, You know, when it comes to market maturity or product maturity, uh, you start in block one, things aren't really well worked out. Nobody's quite sure whether or not the idea is going to work. You don't know who the vendors are, et cetera, et cetera. As you move through all these different phases of maturity, you start reaching quadrant or block number four. When you get into block four, that's when things start getting commoditized. And value, quote unquote, in your products and markets has gone right out the window, Uh, whether it's steel production or a copper mine. It's all about how many cents per ton is profitability, and if you're a few cents less, you just went bankrupt. Now, in the time I was working for GE, GE Capital, and the financial arms of GE versus what GE has become today, which is a quasar of its former self, uh, but back in those days, you know, General Electric was really a financial firm. With a lot of divisions and so the thing that was drilled into everybody whether you were management or whether you were frontline personnel was we've got to stay out of block four we have to stay out of quadrant four don't ever let us get commoditized and if it even looks like we're going towards we're going to become commoditized then we got to exit that industry we got to get out of there so on this um, topic of of commoditization i'm going to kind of hit you from a weird direction um, Why did slavery of Africans by Britain and the United States end? And for that matter, why did Russia end the programs of serfdom who had also existed there? Uh, Was it because of some sort of moral imperative? And the answer tragically is no. Slavery became commoditized, and British banks were no longer achieving their profit targets on the slave trade. So they needed to exit the industry. They had to legitimize those slaves, or in the case of Russia, those serfs, into the economy of the time and adjust the mechanics accordingly. Uh, Social frictions be damned, uh, just as long as the overall economic system functioned. So in a word, the practice of slavery became economically inflated or commoditized to the point it no longer had value. Uh, We saw the same behaviors in Rome uh, with the patrician class and the plebeians. Uh, There's also a number of of examples from feudalism as well. And um, in its ultimate form, um, Patrick Ryan has some rather mind-blowing theories about how inflation has eroded the value of human beings today, uh, which kind of leads to where we are with, with the COOF, but that's that's a whole other topic for another time. Now, what does any of this have to do with Gisling, Maxwell and Julian Assange? Let me explain, and we're going to start with the Treaty of Westphalia. The Treaty of Westphalia brought about the end of the Thirty Years' War in the 1600s. And the Thirty Years' War was pretty nasty on a lot of levels, turned most of Central Europe into a moonscape. And the treaty has been interpreted by historians as basically the model for the international environment and international relations from from the 1600s to right now. And Westphalia set in motion the importance of global institutions. And the rules of those institutions are what in political science speak or international affairs speak they call regimes. Um, So that countries who belonged to these different institutions could sustain order, whether it's in trade, whether it's in monetary policy, or even conflict resolution, the ultimate form of conflict resolution in theory in in our modern world is the United Nations. Now, post-World War II, many of those institutions were the entire framework of the international environment. They were no longer kind of like, oh, yeah, I think we have a, um, a trade group that we're a member of so that we know weights and measures after World War II, most of the world's global institutions, you really couldn't not belong to them. And it's why, to such a degree, since the 1970s, China wanted membership in those regimes because they were left out, Uh, much like Turkey was, but that's another topic. Um, Now, Patrick Ryan references what he calls Westphalia 2.0, and he's not the only one who uses that reference. And what that is, is that's a reference to how Those institutions after World War II, those organizations, uh, and the boundaries that they create are redefined in the internet age because the internet, in many respects, is a commoditizing or inflating um, effect it has on things. And put another way, how those institutions in Westphalia 2.0 sustain the system or weaken. Uh, in that new environment that's brought about by technology. And of course, Silicon Valley, I'm looking in your general direction. Now, this is where we get back into blackmail. Blackmail evolved after Westphalia from being directed, usually against key individuals, kings, queens, presidents, popes, to the organizations themselves who sustain the system. So whether that's the World Health Organization, Uh, even FIFA, which is the international body for soccer uh, or football for you diehard Europeans, um, to the World Trade Organization, and the list goes on. Now, in recent time, how many scandals have we seen those organizations go through just in the past 10 years? It's because of blackmail or the threat of blackmail involving those organizations. And blackmail, ironically, is as much a part of the global system as the people who are in it. Now, a sidebar on this before I get back into kind of the narrative I'm taking you all through. Um, For instance, one of those international institutions was in the news recently, and that's the US Olympic Committee. Now, they reached a settlement with those harmed by Larry Nassar on Monday. The settlement's $380 million, and that money is to go to several hundred people. Now, we have to kind of keep our eye on the head fake, Several hundred people were all harmed by Larry Nassar. I don't know about that. Or in reality, is it several hundred people harmed by Larry Nassar and others? Because you better believe there are non-disclosure agreements behind any of that money people may receive. Also, it begs the question, what other blackmail still exists in the US Olympic Committee, as well as major universities, beyond what is known about this? So blackmail in sports and the Olympics has not ended this blackmail ended around Larry Nassar and these other doctors, but not blackmail in general when it comes to international sports. Also recently in the news, uh, CIA agents who were found to be sexually abusing kids had their cases referred by the Justice Department back to the CIA to manage it internally, which is a bit of a head scratcher. They were not prosecuted. They left it to the CIA to handle it internally. Uh, at least officially, I'm unaware that the CIA is in a position to incarcerate anybody for breaking the law. Uh, The FBI just announced this week that their inspector general's office found that the agency's senior leaders had been paying for prostitutes while overseas. Not just a conflict of interest, but certainly a way in which our FBI personnel could be blackmailed. And then along with this topic, rather interestingly, Lauren Jobs, Steve Jobs of Apple fame's widow. She now runs the Atlantic magazine. And of course, there was a photograph. And this is, again, where you've got to kind of watch the head fake folks, because we've had data coming out in the Maxwell trial and photographs and things. But what you're hearing, what you're not necessarily seeing people tell you is where your attention needs to go. Now what I'm talking about is, is this photograph that exists of, of Lauren Lauren Powell Jobs sitting next to Gislaine Maxwell. They're both in swimsuits and they're sitting next to a pool somewhere. The Atlantic just ran a piece on how the whole child, child trafficking topic is misunderstood. That it's disinformation, that it's a conspiracy theory, that the problem isn't anywhere near as bad as people say it is. That seems rather interesting given Uh, (laughs) what's going on right now in a courtroom down in uh, the Southern District of New York. And as I mentioned on a prior show, what court case is taking place literally in a courtroom right next to that one. Kevin Spacey is in the middle of his own court case about accusations of of sexual assault, really, um, where he himself was on those planes on many times, both with former President Clinton as well as Jeff Epstein. And because the craziness doesn't stop there, the Senate Judiciary C- uh, Committee just heard from Judge Allison Nathan yesterday. She's the judge in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, and she's up for promotion to the Second Circuit Court. So she's in the middle of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. The defense is calling 35 witnesses, which is more than the prosecution called. And the judge, uh, what do you call it, has, has called a recess in the trial because she had to go to Washington to go get interviewed for the Second Circuit Court. Uh, my thanks on that last uh tidbit of information to uh all of you in our lovely audience a couple of folks reached out to me on discord about that one so back on this main narrative now patrick ryan talks about what he calls various threats to 2.0 which could damage that system because the problem with any institution any system whether it's a government whether it's a, a trade body whatever it is over time they start to decay they start to break down and this is why in management consulting which which was one of my many past lives, I would often explain to organization that they would get something running, a project management office or a risk committee or whatever it might be, or change management. But the big thing I would always try to drill into my clients is is you have to have life cycle management. You've got to have somebody every six to eight months or whatever the time period is reviewing your processes, reviewing your documentation to make sure that you're not slipping that the organization is still having value what you're trying to do. And the same is true with these institutions. They start to break down. So one of the areas that Patrick started dialing in on is what are those things that, of, there are several, but I'm gonna focus on two of them. What are those things that can start breaking down You know these, these regimes or these institutions from Westphalia to now and Westphalia 2.0? One of these is the elimination of taboos. Now, let me explain that. You cannot blackmail someone for something no one cares about. We have to remember, 100 years ago, people's morals were a lot firmer than they are today. I mean, 125 years ago, I could blackmail you if I found you smoking and taking a swig of bourbon on a Sunday. Blackmail is easy in highly moralistic societies, especially if we go back to when the Catholic Church had a lot more influence over at least Western Europe. And as V talked about earlier this week about the topic of indulgences, if you had money back in the Middle Ages, and again, if you're an elite, the Catholic Church would let you buy indulgences for mortal sins and forgiveness for things like all those hookers you've been visiting. But in current time, and I mean this as a joke, uh, Gus can hook you up with websites for high-end call girls. I mean, the times have changed. Now, when moral inflation wears away, now watch this very carefully, When moral inflation wears away over time, then the blackmail has to be for even worse things, like pedophilia. You cannot blackmail someone for pedophilia if Netflix has documentaries normalizing it. I'm talking about the the controversy about the, the program they had called Cuties. Now again, like slavery, opposition to pedophiles amongst the world's institutions is usually not because of moral righteousness. It's because it's a danger to the value that that blackmail provides. Now, tragically, pedophilia in many respects has to continue to guarantee its value as blackmail. Penn State University, I'm looking in your direction. Now, not all blackmail is sex or pedophile related, but a considerable amount has been, especially the stuff that we've been hearing about in the media. Now, the subject of Ghislaine Maxwell, therefore, centers around the creation of new blackmail and sustaining it in that system with Jeff Epstein. So therefore, nothing of substance can come out of the court case against her, especially when her sisters manage companies who sell software used by who? The FBI and the CIA to manage what? The information they store, some of which could be blackmail. Then there's the nuclear option relative to the court case that is currently ongoing. Why was Ghislaine Maxwell not charged with child rape? Because that's what it was. What about charging her with good old blackmail itself? No, neither of those things are entering a courtroom. They're not gonna be allowed to enter a courtroom. But certain observers, Patrick notwithstanding, have been pointing out, you've gotta read between the lines. You've gotta look at some of these photos they've been posting and so on. Um, whether it is the watch that Jeff Epstein ha- happens to be wearing uh, or other aspects of things that are in those photographs. I mean, that's that's kind of tradecraft intelligence work right there. You know, the uh, the age old thing of of two key players in this uh, court case are discussing something or in a photograph, but it's like, can we zoom in and see what was on the document that that they're both reviewing? Case in point, there was a, a photograph that, in and of itself, was probably not very important. But if you zoomed in on the bookshelf in the background, you would see there was a book on Jeff Epstein's bookshelf. That the title of the book was essentially um, "How Many People Are Too Many on the Earth" is like essentially what the what the title of the book was. Now, the other destabilizing factor in West uh, Westphalia 2.0, or one of them, is theft of blackmail. The value becomes commoditized to blackmail if a whole bunch of players have access to the same content. and This is where the subject of Julian Assange comes up, because he's at the center of the theft of existing blackmail. Now, whether Assange's goals were knowable, whether he actively sought out material that was blackmail, if it was provided to him by others who wanted to expose injustices in the world, on a certain level, none of that matters. What matters is he made himself a lightning rod on this issue of stolen blackmail and privileged information. And to paraphrase a line from the movie Network, Julian Assange trifled with cosmic forces beyond his reckoning. And so we've got we've got what's going on there. Now, the other, there are several, but the the other areas that Patrick points out in in threats to you know what he calls Westphalia 2.0 also include deep fakes and artificial intelligence. And that's that's a whole That's a whole show in and of itself. Um, The other thing too, is noting that large amounts of blackmail is essentially immoral filth. Um, Why is blackmail inflation a problem in our current system? Well, this is when it gets a little strange because we have to ask ourselves a question, what happens to the world when the leaders of US intelligence are not cornered? Or for that matter, Western or other intelligence agencies are not cornered by things that others know about them. What happens if Henry Kissinger or the President of Turkey is free to just go full throttle on what they want? Um, The blackmail variable in the international affairs starts to break down, balances of power in the international environment break down. It's kind of like the challenge that many of us in the Eastern European community had about this former Soviet Union. On the one hand, of course all of us wanted the Soviet Union annihilated and communism destroyed because of what it did to our homelands and our, our ethnic communities and our families. But many of us were still smart enough to understand or, or reasonable enough to understand that you can't just rip the Soviet Union out. The, the potential for war and destabilization was overwhelming. It's, it's, if you will, the collapse had to be uh, very carefully managed. So in present time, in my opinion, Ghislaine Maxwell will eventually have to be let free because she is part of the system. And Julian Assange is going to have to be destroyed because he interfered in the system and he was never really part of it. Now another head fake going on in the news is this: blackmail has many purposes and many reasons for being, and it's often about money, control, balances of power, etc. And I doubt there are other operations out there to create new taboo-based blackmail on the scale and effectiveness of what Jeff Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell had going on. We have to remember Jean-Luc Brunel, Peter Nygard. We've talked about them on the show. They're in custody, and I don't think they're getting out anytime soon. Claire Bronfman is in custody. So that kind of taboo blackmail is gone severely weakened. Plus, I can't touch that topic without bringing up again Les Wexner and Victoria's Secret. That whole thing is gone as well. Now, Wexner's unloaded Victoria's Secret, and he still has a lot of money, and the Wexners are laundering money on an industrial scale. But the degree to which they're creating that kind of blackmail is gone. Now that's a major financial loss to a lot of people, and that's a major loss in the in the projection of power to a lot of people. Then we also have the small matter of uh, certain intelligence agencies from my ethnic homeland have been rumored to have stolen evidence from uh, the Jeff Epstein evidence site in Florida uh, years ago. Uh, the rumor out there is that that intelligence agency and others have been selling that to buyers internationally Uh, which reduces its value even further. Now we're almost at the end of the narrative here, so stay with me. Now like I said, it's about money and power and the ability to influence others. It also involves the ability to sustain international money laundering. Now you can money launder a lot of ways. Now I'm going to raise a rather unusual topic. We've had a sudden rash of news stories lately about the topic of abortion in the United States and its legality, and I assure you that what you're seeing on that topic is not what you think it is. Now, when I worked for the American Red Cross, I saw firsthand how much money they're making on blood plasma and hemoglobin. I was working at the headquarters in Washington on a consultative assignment. The Red Cross trades blood plasma, hemoglobin, and human tissue. And that's exactly what you think it is. They trade it like oil in the Americas and internationally. And fetal tissue is traded the same way by various parties, and it's used extensively in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, to all of you who might be fans of Dune, and the movie came out recently, which was quite good, I thought. uh, There's the famous line from Dune, both the books and the movie, about the power to destroy a thing is the power to control a thing. So these state and federal court cases you've been seeing would tie up profits, which are considerable, from fetal tissue while people are waiting to see what happens in the courts. Now, will the law be overturned? That's not the issue. The issue is how much money is denied to certain parties right now because these court cases are tying up that activity. You also might be interested to know the following on the whole Supreme Court role in that topic. Uh, John Roberts, you've all heard of him on the Supreme Court. Uh, Back in 2010, he sold all of his Pfizer stock to avoid a conflict of interest in court hearings dealing with pharmaceutical topics. And then amusingly, two years later, in 2012, he signed off on Obamacare. Now, the following is the God's honest truth. Go look it up. As soon as he decided on the Obamacare case, which surprised a lot of, you know, policy wonks and legal scholars and all the rest of it, they were rather surprised by his siding with the approval of Obamacare. Literally, as soon as that case was decided, he left the United States for two weeks. And where did he go? He went to Malta. <laughs> uh, he went to Malta in the Mediterranean, and he was literally speaking at the Knights of Malta on international legal matters. Which, just the weirdness on that knows no limits. Um, So we have another head fake. Because people said, well, Robert's strange behavior on the court is because he's being blackmailed, because there were some uh, rather odd things that happened with some adoptions of his children. Uh, no, no, that's no, <laughs> that's not what the blackmail is. Whatever it is, though, we can certainly see what they're getting for their, for their investment. So given just that little that little snippet about John Roberts, you have to wonder how the Supreme Court would rule on anything that's going to impact human tissue. So what we're probably witnessing is kind of a tit for tat among powerful players, but not a not a major change in US law, not a major change in, in our philosophy on that topic, et cetera, as a country. So while we look at all of this, the other thing that's been going on there behind the scenes is the Federal Reserve, in case anybody was paying attention, the Federal Reserve, has completely run out of ideas and this is not hyperbole what i'm about to say i'm dead serious when i say this if you look at a few of the things that have recently been going on with blackrock and by proxy vanguard and others and i know we raise that topic frequently here on rogue but i think for all intents and purposes you could make the argument that blackrock has become the federal reserve And certain kinds of blackmail, along with that, are breaking down in their utility. And the right kind of examples are being made of Ghislaine and Julian. And there's a new kid running finance these days called BlackRock Vanguard and others. Definitely topics to keep an eye on. Now, my last comment on all of this is um, some of you may have seen the movie called Bad Times at the El Royale. It's a great film. And it's one of those films that has so many subtleties and layers to it because it does deal with this this blackmail topic. And it's definitely worth seeing the film if you haven't or seeing it again, but kind of looking at it from a different, a different angle. Because there's a lot in that film that is not spoken dialogue. It's about the background or the location or whatever, because a lot of what's in that film is, for instance, the, the setting of the film is a uh, old school resort um, that sits on the border of Nevada and California. And so at the time it's it's taking place, uh, you could only drink on the California side, uh, you couldn't drink on the Nevada side, et cetera. And there's literally a line going down the middle of the, of the hotel. The point of that scene or the point of that reference in the movie is, is that um, Frank Sinatra owned such a property and it was literally sitting on the border of two U.S. states. And it's very in the public domain right now uh, is that what would happen is, is Frank would have mafia people come to one side of the hotel. And he had underground tunnels, which is portrayed in the film, that allowed those uh, mafia leaders to conduct meetings and so on. Even though the FBI was monitoring, they were never quite aware of what the heck was going on up there. And there's been a lot of new detail that's come out recently about Marilyn Monroe. And uh, a couple of weeks before she died, um, she was promised new movie um, films that she could appear in. But uh, the mafia folks that she used to hang out with told her, we, we need you to come up to uh, Frank's place, this, that, and the other. And of course, what has recently come out is, is that she was drugged. Um, she was stripped naked and they filmed her in a number of, of compromising things and then sent, sent her home. And that's one of the things that led to, uh, depending on how you look at it and the, in the various you know, narratives that are out there contributed to her state of mind and her, her mental breakdown. Now, for me personally, I still think she was, um, she was murdered, but that whole scene of what went down at Frank's, um, uh, compound, if you will, up there. Uh, There were a lot of such incidents like that. Uh, Supposedly, Hoover at the FBI was up there, and that was another occasion where he was filmed uh, in a compromised situation, etc. So when you watch the movie, The Bad Times at the El Royale, there's a lot of very subtle references in that film to not just Monroe and not just uh, Frank Sinatra, but a whole host of things, including both of the Kennedy brothers. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Plus, there's actually, to tell you the God's honest truth, in my opinion, and others have said this, um, there's a deeply spiritual angle to that film, if you can believe it, if you watch it to the end, about what the experiences all the characters go through and what that really means. But anyway, so that that wraps up what I had, uh, not the full the full hour. CJ, did you want to jump in, or are there other topics that you wanted to, to raise? Because I know the news has been crazy the past... past well,
0: I mean, the, yeah, so. I mean, the entire, the entire Epstein... Uh, prosecution. It's, 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 it's a very dark web and it goes a lot of different directions. Um, To say that I understand it. I, I, I don't, I've, I spent enough time, hours, you know, researching, you know, I've been documenting the Epstein thing for like the last five to six years. And I, I think there's some fundamental questions similar to what you pointed to in terms of of her family and their involvement with a lot of, and again, I think that I, I obtained this information from the amazing Polly, that did a really good uh, breakdown in terms of her family and and what the yes. technology they developed in terms of email systems and and how that email systems was used in a lot of software companies, development companies, uh, potentially like what you said to get to to garner and get. Blackmail material. I mean, who knows what those systems infiltrated within uh, government agencies. But yes, could, you could go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say you can you can make the
1: argument that going back to their father, um the entire Maxwell family is I don't want to abuse the the term mafia, but there is a mafia-like angle. To the family now. When I say mafia, what am I talking about? Well, you know, what's the difference between a legal and an illegal business? Well, is it you know, to oversimplify, is it taxable? So it's like if you're making money from non-taxed or or things that aren't approved of in the economy, like gambling or prostitution or whatever, then then that's an illegal activity, and then we we tend to assign families or other powerful groups who run those those endeavors uh, as forms of uh, forms of mafia. but yeah, you're right. Polly, Polly has done, if I recall correctly, she's got four different programs. She has one that goes through, uh, for all of you on our lovely listening audience today, Polly's got like four programs. One of them goes into depth on just who are all the medical and academic institutions worldwide with whom Epstein was involved, and I'm talking about the CRISPR technology where you can literally, I'm not making this up, folks, you can get a CRISPR machine and at home, splice your own DNA. And various, very wealthy people around the world who've completely lost touch with reality, who like want to engineer their own human beings. You know, she's got a show on that. She had two programs dealing with the Maxwell family, their dad, and then one of those programs delved a bit into her sisters and then another one was just on her sisters and i i can't do it justice folks um uh yes jacob's law rumble has amazing Polly, as does bit shoot um and again the thing about polly is is i've often said about her she's not a person who's talking at you i, I don't mean that in an unfair way to, to those of us out there that just kind of talk about these topics but she she always has these very complicated PowerPoints where she's got all the names of all the people and all the documents she used. I mean, she footnotes everything she's doing. And so it's not just, wow, that's an amazing theory. It's like, it's not theory. She's got the patents on the technology and that it goes to a third party company owned in the Caymans that goes back to, you guessed it, the Maxwell sisters. But the the Maxwell sisters and their relationship with the CIA and the FBI, for public domain uh, products, folks, I mean, it was it was requests for proposals, RFPS that were issued by federal agencies saying we need a we need an application or a piece of software does the following, and and the winner of that bidding process were companies owned by or influenced by or managed by or have on the board of directors Kisley and Maxwell's two sisters. So you, we, this is <laughs> there's no coincidence here. There's there's no there's no way. Speaking of Las Vegas, that's a bet I'd like to make. There's no, there's no way that this isn't, this isn't coordinated. And so it's like when you've got all of talk about blackmail, when you've got all these federal agencies who are using software from from firms that are run by Gisling Maxwell sisters. How in the hell are you going to prosecute her?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and even even dating back, looking at a, a, another very fundamental question is, is that. If we take a little scroll back through history, let's let's think back to the original terrible, terrible decision uh, to basically slap the hand of, of Jeffrey Epstein. So that was done back in 2007, 2008 by U.S. Attorney Acosta during that time period. And this was all based out of out of out of Florida. So at that point, he got a very light sentence. So a very fundamental question is to going back to what you said in regards to blackmail, everything else is it why do we have a period of close to 12 years going back again, 2007, 2008, all the way forward to, to 20 July 8th, 2019, when the uh, Southern district of New York issued and arrested Jeffrey Epstein for sex trafficking with minors. And this was done out of New York. Yes. So, so, what triggered that during that time period? What was happening during that time period? And, you know, you can go back and look through and, and see through that time period of, of potentially why Epstein was was brought back in. My theory, I have no proof of this. My theory was strictly for uh, influencing uh, policy, um, potentially blackmail uh, during that that time period of, of of there, and you can go back and look at the dates to see. In now, people always get upset when I when I I always try to connect the dots between Epstein and Trump, and a lot of people are like, no, 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 he he was on the flight, but they right, right, right. were friends and all that and everything. But <laughs> either either tr- Trump did not do due diligence. Or he was ignorant in terms of some of the people that he had in his inner circle that had direct ties to Epstein. I mean, if if I knew these things, right, if I knew these things right. about Acosta, why the hell wouldn't Trump know these things? So it goes well, back to the to the decision as to, OK, and you can connect to that. So there's three. There's three. So. So first one, yeah, you can say maybe, maybe it's an excuse of, of why Trump did this. You know, number one is Acosta, who I believe was his, was it the department of, what Acosta head up for, for Trump? Um, Let's see here. It was, oh. Labor uh, secretary. So he was the labor secretary. So there's number one. Okay. There's number one. Number two, Alan Dershowitz. And, and Alan Dershowitz, everyone's very familiar with the accusations against Alan right. Dershowitz, right? And and who was Trump's attorney through the attempt to impeach Trump? Alan Dershowitz. Okay. Number two. Third, okay, who did Trump appoint as to the AG after Jeff Sessions? William Barr. Mm-hmm. And everyone is very familiar with William Barr and his family, his more importantly, I believe his dad's Connection to who? Jeffers. Jeffrey Epstein. So, so I, again, um, I mean, maybe someone else can do the research and 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 try to go in. I I firmly believe that it was strictly done during that time period to um, to help manage the administration. You know, many people say that um that you know Clinton Clinton offed you know the the Clintons offed Jeffrey Epstein. I think it could be more on the opposite side, that potentially, if he he is dead, uh, that that did it. In other words, uh, more to people to protect uh, the administration during that time period. And the reason why I say that is, is because if you look at the actual uh, judge who was assigned uh, to this case, uh, U.S. District Judge Richard Bierman, he was actually appointed to the courts by who? By Bill Clinton. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So so again, so like, you know, all these things and I and, you know, getting back, I don't want to go too far off. I think I probably already have. But, um, you know, circling back to it, you're you're correct. The, the Giselle or whatever you pronounce it, Maxwell it has nothing to do, nothing to do with actual prosecution or, or holding him accountable. It's just strictly for for influence. It's to, uh, you know, change decisions you know, the, 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 influence of things and, and, and blackmail flat, flat out blackmail. And it's very unfortunate. It's very unfortunate for the victims, right? It's very unfortunate for the, 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 the girls who were, who were recruited in most of them came from broken homes or, or yes. were in bad situations where a hundred bucks to them was a, a lot of money uh, during that time period. So, so more importantly for the victims, they'll, they'll never see any type of of justice. And, and even if there's any type of restitution, most of these girls are going to live a a lifelong of, of those, those memories. And, and that's the tragedy of it. And when you look at what's happening in, in, our, in our system of, you know, again, uh, one set of rules for, for, for thee, but, but not for me, uh, the criminalities of these, these crazy people to continue to get to get away with it and including the, the sick sicko from uh, uh, producers at CNN, both, both Mm -hmm. of them, But let's get back to the original topic. If the listeners, if someone wants to jump in, uh, basically what I said about all those connections, wondering about that time period of why there was nearly 12 years between Acosta uh, slapping Epstein on the wrist and then and then several years later, the South District of New York uh, courts uh, issuing arrest and, and unsealing the indictment and arresting him. I mean, there's 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 a lot going on there, Velas. A lot going on.
1: There is, and I and I want to raise a couple of points. The first is, along with your narrative about these these interrelationships, which is very important, including including Barr, um, we have to remember that Bill Barr's dad uh, hired Epstein into that private school in New York with you know. Purely what he said on a resume was his credentials, none of which, you know, were proven out. And then after that, Epstein went to go work for a major financial firm where primarily his only client is Les Wexner, who later claims uh, I had no knowledge what the man was doing. Then the other factor, especially with with President Trump and the quote unquote impeachments and the the rest brought this up on other shows, folks, the law firm of King and Spalding. King and Spalding is another one of those, like if I was Ryan Dawson and I was doing, you know, as I sit here in my office and I look over, I've got I've got his um, big Epstein map sitting here and I've also got his Biden crime family map. And of course, the funny thing is, is as I'm looking at it right now, while I'm talking to all of you. The thing is like, what is this? It's probably three feet by three feet. No, that's too big. Two feet by three feet. And my first thought is that the damn thing should probably be, uh, thank you, Bill P., Uh, The darn thing should probably be more like, uh, you know, six feet by six feet to get all the detail in there. King and Spalding is one of those law firms that you almost need a giant uh, criminal map on your wall to connect all the people that are connected to King and Spalding. Now, why does this matter? King and Spalding matters because the Trump family and the Trump foundations are all managed by King and Spalding. And... Several members of Trump's administration were, and as the old saying goes about the intelligence community, you're never, you're never really out. He had former King and Spalding people on his staff who went back to King and Spalding. But even better than that is, most of the senior lawyers who were prosecuting the president were, when he was president, were King and Spalding attorneys. So again, it's, it's, uh, and the analogy I use, which strangely enough brings us back to Bill Barr again is Iran-Contra. What do I mean? Well, Iran-Contra. We had hearings. We had Daniel Inouye, who I have some issues with him, however, who with reflection, with hindsight, we look back on his uh, being the committee chair of the Iran-Contra hearings. Now, much of those hearings was held in private session. The public will never know what was said unless somebody leaks that information out. But as we just saw what happened to Julian Assange, be careful if you're leaking information. Um, But during those hearings, we've got Oliver North as ground zero, and it's just him and his very attractive secretary and their shredder uh, managing moving guns to the Contras, and how dare you, and you went around Congress, and this, that, and the other. But it's like, who's, who's really managing the Iran Contra situation. It was Bill Barr. Bill Barr is a cleaner. That's his job. He goes into situations in Washington. Uh, yes, Jacobs Law, King and Spalding. When when the crap hits the fan, you call Bill Barr. That's that's what he does. When Washington has actually put its foot in a in a gopher hole bad enough that the public might actually start figuring out what the hell's going on, they call in Bill Barr to clean it up. And of course. Who was, who was Oliver North? Well, we, we know this from the book Compromised and Other Sources. He was the CIA handler who was managing Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton to use Arkansas to not just move untraceable arms into South America, but to move narcotics back into the United States. Well, now we're back into the drug trade and how the U.S. intelligence community and others are profiting from that, which then dovetails into blackmail. But yeah, I mean, Bar Barr is another one. That it's like these are, and the other thing too, folks, is you have to remember, and and this is a very important comment I need to make. When you read books, as I did extensively, I I read, man, I must have read 30 damn books when I was just (laughs) in middle school and high school about Soviet intelligence, defectors, the list goes on. I read the book about Viktor Belenko when he defected in his MiG-25 in 1976 to Japan. I read the book about Viktor Suvorov which is actually not his real name. He was one of the few Soviet military intelligence agents who defected. And he didn't defect to the United States because he didn't trust us to keep him safe. He defected to Britain. Uh, Arkady Chevchenko, the highest ranking Soviet defector, who was their United Nations representative, who who defected. On and on and on and on and on. And what did all these former defectors talk about when it comes to tradecraft? That some of the supercomputers that the Soviet Union had stolen or, or obtained without us realizing it was them who was buying it, were all used to track U.S. personnel. They tracked military officers. They tracked politicians. They tracked everybody. Now, in a strange way, it's kind of like uh, the Siebel software or uh, Salesforce, where you're tracking various details about your customer: when's their birthday, what are their kids' names? You know, make sure that uh, you know they observe kind of an obscure holiday. Most people don't observe. Make sure you send them a card, um, etc. Well, they had highly complex systems, the Soviet Union did, including psychological profiles. But here's the big one. They were tracking people in private schools. Please see where Jeff Epstein was teaching at one time. They were tracking people in private schools in the United States who showed great promise. Now, it doesn't mean that investment's going to work out. But where I'm going with this is, is, is there were people keeping an eye on Bill Clinton long before he became a Rhodes Scholar. And so, if one country's very well-run intelligence agencies are doing that, well, then what's Israel doing? What's, what's France doing? Because I've mentioned this. Thank you, Modema. Um, and Merry Christmas to you, too. I've mentioned this on another show, folks. The one country no one ever pays any attention to who has one of the finest intelligence programs on the planet and who has one of the most astounding controls of commodities in the world, drum roll, France. You can say what you want about the French military. You cannot make any jokes about the the French foreign legion. But I'm telling you right now, France and France's intelligence agency is nothing to laugh at. Those people commit industrial espionage, the likes of which the Japanese wish they were that good. And so what I'm saying is everyone is monitoring everybody's people. So if you see a young politician who shows promise, if you see somebody who came from a powerful family, like, for instance, Bill, Bill Barr's family. Well, you start working them when they're 18. You start compromising them at a very young age. Mm -hmm. That's how this shit works. So the other question that has to be asked, and again, remember, there is value in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. There is value in Kevin Spacey's trial for those of you that know how to go into a court uh, court system and go look up public information that's coming out of that trial for any of you who is I do my Doctor Evil imitation on this side of the microphone, for those of you who want to go look into that because that might be worth looking into. But where I'm going with this is there is valuable information coming out of the Gisling Maxwell trial. i'm not I'm not saying that to be sarcastic. I'm dead serious. But it's not what they're saying. It's why is the judge sitting in Washington this week interviewing for another job? And, and what is the likelihood she's going to get you that job, depending on how this case goes? Why is the defense calling 35 witnesses when even the prosecution is like, we called eight? Why mm. is it that the charges that should have happened in this case never happened? But yet, the data is there. And all and I'm telling you right now, folks, I have been on some really wacky folks' websites, and I'm not criticizing. It's just, hey, you do you. But there's some folks out there that have been have been like, I mean like geospatial satellite level optics going over those photos because there are little clues in there and it takes time. I know everybody wants that USA Today graphic that tells us all, okay, here's what the hell's going on. This takes time. This takes time. Whether it's Catherine Austin Fitz talking about what really is probably going on in the economic system or the topic I covered today. But as I told CJ and and VJ. I really had to get one more show in this year, folks. I really, I'm not kidding you. I really felt passionate and that it was important that I cover this blackmail topic in current time because by the time next year rolls around and I show up again on the 7th, please tune in. Um, we Probably a lot will have happened both in the Maxwell trial and with Julian Assange. And I wanted to get this out to all of you before before those events take place.
0: Yeah, no, very good, and we'll pop to have to save it for another show. But it'll be very interesting, and and hopefully it's what always keeps the United States in check as to what information that that, that Vladimir Putin has on 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 the U.S. as well for
1: blackmail. <laughs> yeah, and the, the other thing too, folks. Uh, no kidding, I'm I am writing up, um, I am writing up a show on Bill Barr. That one's taking some me some time. Uh, I am writing up a show on the the pedophile topic, which, as I've mentioned on a prior show, is is disturbing. Uh, I say that from the standpoint of the fact that when I was in graduate school, I wrote a paper on uh, what, like a seventy five page paper on the use of um, well, there's no other way to say it uh, torture of children in certain countries as a method of state control. Uh, that was rather disturbing. I had to go to the Caribbean for about a, about two weeks to go cool off after that one. Uh, the other thing is is I've got a show coming up on um, How movies and television are telling us certain truths. It's like my comment about, you know, step back, step back and look at what's going on in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, and for that matter, the Kevin Spacey trial, and and look at some of the threads they're not paying attention to. It's there in front of you. The truth is there. It's going to take some time. You're going to sift through some things, but it's there. I've got a whole show planned coming up on just movies, and I've I've got some real mind scramblers. Uh, come, coming out of film because that's a that's another angle where there's a number of people who've said for years there are those out there who either are trying to help or are so sadistic they don't care and are just telling us flat out what what they're doing and so I've got a show coming up that's going to delve into a little bit more of that but I'm I'm deeply yeah. thankful to you CJ for for uh, uh coming out of the AWACS plane long enough to let me do uh to do this show today and and uh, my best to you and your family over the holidays
0: oh absolutely it's, it's always a pleasure to have you on velas uh, i know i enjoy it our audience does as well uh you know great intel uh, i know you put a lot of work into the shows that you do and so whenever you reached out and said hey this is something i need to do before the years end," i we, we we knew it was important to get you on so thank you thank you for your time as well and uh, Merry Christmas to your family. Uh, for listeners, uh, keep it keep it tuned in right here. We will be back live at two p.m. Eastern Standard Time with another uh, very special interview. We we will be interviewing Cynthia Chung. Uh, many of you probably have heard her name um, mentioned before. Uh, she is the also the co-founder of the Rising Tide Foundation. So you're very familiar with Matthew Errett. And Ah. she is also a writer for strategic culture foundation. So we will be back 2 PM Eastern standard time with uh, Cynthia Chung and hopefully she'll be able to make it for, for that one. Bellis, anything else before we close this one out?
1: No, I'm good. Uh, as I've, as I've often said on other shows, folks, don't, don't get depressed. Go take a long walk. If you gotta, I'm definitely taking a page out of CJ's book, go to the gym, go work out, eat right, you know, hug, hug your relatives, even if you don't get
0: along. Um, and just, just hang in there, folks. Just hang in there. Absolutely. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, please, again, like, share, subscribe. And we will see you back at 2 p.m. Thank you all. Take care.